Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 11, and we're going we're gonna to start there today. Today we, of course, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus is, first of all, a, a historical fact, and we, you need to be aware of that and thinking of that, because some people think that uh, the resurrection is just all about faith, but it's not. It's actually a historical fact that can be proven from evidence that we're not going to get into this morning. But it is, first of all, a historical fact. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus speaking about his own resurrection, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Die. Everybody say, shall never die. That's good news, isn't it? And we say that all the time. I say that all the time. Really, nobody ever dies. Um, all that happens is you pass from this life to the next, and you're either ready or you're not. You either have eternal life or you don't when you cross over. But reality is no one ever dies. And with that in mind, then we shouldn't really live for this life. We should live for the next one. Because this, this life is just short. It's actually the shortest thing you'll ever, you'll ever know, shortest thing you'll ever experience in compared to eternity. This life for the believer is the closest to hell that you'll ever get. For the unbeliever, it's the closest to heaven you'll ever get. This life is very short. And Jesus said that about himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet he shall live, and everyone, everyone who believes in me shall never die. That's where our hope is this morning. That's why Paul said that we shouldn't grieve the same way as unbelievers grieve when somebody passes on, because we know about eternal life. We know that there is a resurrection to come. Amen? So resurrection means a few things. I mean, of course, first of all, resurrection, first of all, means that you and I have eternal life. Now, if you don't understand that, that's a much longer sermon that we preached before. But here's the basic reasoning of the Bible. Uh, the basic reasoning of the Bible is it's that death is something to be tremendously afraid of. Because once you die, that's it. It's over. Uh, and, and it's not a guarantee that anyone or anything would have power over death. You know, we take it for granted because we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, but the, the reasoning of the scripture kind of goes like this. It's not a guarantee that anything or anyone would have power over death, but yet Jesus proved that he has power over death when he conquered it through his resurrection. So because, I'm just explaining to you the way the scripture portrays it, it just kind of in a quick summary. Because Jesus conquered death and his physical body was resurrected and he got a new body, he said, that's a down payment for what's going to happen to you. He said, it's proof that you too don't have to be afraid because if he conquered death once, how many of you know he can do it again? And if he got a new body, he sa it says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, he's the first one that was resurrected and got a new body. But he says, all who believe are going to follow in that same faith. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. That is really the true reason why we celebrate resurrection. We're celebrating his resurrection because of what it means for us in the future and what it means for us concerning eternity. So praise God for that. Preached on that a lot of Easter's before. Not going to preach on that this Sunday. But still, I'm already excited just about that one. But also, the resurrection at Easter, it also means that we have entered the age of grace. We've entered a completely different age of grace called the New Covenant. 
There was the old covenant, and that was God's covenant with man. And then God made a new covenant that he made with Jesus, but then applied it to you. So the first covenant was between God and man. But the second covenant is between God and Jesus. And then all those who believe in Jesus, they get to be included in that covenant. Much better deal. Much better deal. Because in the old covenant, the idea was if you do right, live right, follow right, obey right, you get all of these blessings. If you don't, you're cursed. No one ever did it right, so they all pretty much experienced the the curse. But in the new covenant, God makes his covenant with Jesus. And see, that's what happened on the, the, that's what was happening on the cross. We don't have time to explain it all, but there was a covenant being made between God and his son. And then the deal just gets so much better for us. He says, for you to be part of this covenant, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God. That's it. Because he did everything for you that was necessary to enact this covenant. He followed the law. He lived a sinless life. He, he did and followed God in, in full, complete, perfect obedience And in order for you to be included in that covenant, all you have to do is believe and have faith. It's almost too good to be true, but that's why it's called the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. If I told you this morning you had to work for your salvation, that you had to be good enough, you had to do enough good deeds, you you had to, you know, accomplish all these things to obtain salvation, that wouldn't really be good news. Because we've all tried that, right? We've all tried that, that method of being pleasing in the sight of God. It's not very pleasant because we're broken and we're sinful and none of us can do it right. But Jesus did it perfectly. And God's grace, this is the age of grace that we're in. Praise God for it. He said the grace of God is that Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you should have died. And you receive everything that he's going to get for what he did eternal life, salvation, and his eternal inheritance, he's going to share with you. He's made you a co-heir because of that. I know I'm going through a lot of information. If you've been in church for about a decade, you already know all of these concepts. But if you're new, you you might just be getting bits and pieces. That's okay. I want to tell you a story this morning about a man by the name of Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther lived around the uh, early 1500s. And Martin Luther was the leader of the Great Reformation. At that time in the Middle Ages, uh, Christianity was was borderline demonic, just borderline not even godly at all. You know, Roman Catholicism had just taken over the way they were were doing it, and it it was just very bad, very mystical, very magical, very unbiblical, actually. And out of that came the Great Reformation. We take it for granted that we're sitting here today worshiping, We take it for granted that every one of us have a Bible on our phone where we could just go ourselves and find out what the Bible says about any issue. It wasn't like that. Bibles were literally chained to the pulpit. And besides that, they were written in in, uh, languages that people couldn't even read and understand. So they had to depend on another man. They had to depend on a priest to tell them, this is what God says. This is what God wants. And so there was a lot of abuse and a lot of misinterpretation. And Martin Luther grew up under that cloud. The year was 1505, and he was traveling along the road. He was 21 years old. He was traveling along the road, coming back from university. It was overcast, and all of a sudden, there was a giant bolt of lightning that struck on the road near him. It struck so hard that it knocked him over in the ditch. Now, to Martin Luther, in the age, you know, the medieval age and the dark ages and all that, when that happened, it was instant to him that God was trying to kill him. That was his way of, you know, interpreting that. So he immediately shouted out, 
when he fell in the ditch. He said, Saint Anne, help me. I will become a monk. So this shows you his reasoning. The way he thought about God was, God, I'll dedicate my life to become a monk if you just won't kill me. Saint Anne, for those of you who don't know, was the, supposedly the mother of Mary. Uh, the mother of Jesus. And the line of thinking for those during that time was, well, God is very harsh, but Jesus is a little bit nicer, so we'll pray to him. But then Jesus is a little bit harsh, so we'll pray to his mother Mary, because surely she's a little bit sweeter than Jesus. And then, but Mary might be a little harsh, so then we'll pray to Saint Anne, because they can just relay the message down the line. That was kind of the way. How many of you know we can go straight to the Father through the blood of Jesus? We, we don't have to do all of that. Praise God for that. But that was a way of thinking. So he said, Saint Anne, that was, most of you, if you got hit by a bolt of lightning and fell in the ditch, you'd say, Jesus! But he said, Saint Anne, there were a few removed there from the Lord, but I think God heard him anyway. So he followed through. On his vow, he became a monk, and he was completely miserable. He was completely miserable because he lived in a time where everyone was trying desperately to be made right with God through anything physical that they could do. Any type of physical achievement, they would starve themselves. This was the time of great feats of holiness, great demonstrations of outward holiness, and these things were all necessary for salvation. They believed that, uh, and some still do, they believed that there was a purgatory that when people died, they didn't go to heaven, they didn't go to hell, they went to purgatory and they were just in that, that state until an, uh, somebody on earth could, could do enough things to pray for them, help them, uh, you know, do feats that could possibly get them out of purgatory. These things were, were communicated. Of course, that's not a biblical concept. It's not a, a concept to be found in the Bible, but this is what they believed. So people that were still on earth they would they would do all they would go to all kinds of extremes to try to get people out of purgatory and things like that this was an age of monasticism which is where basically people would separate themselves from the world in order to get closer to God not just like living a holy life they would literally separate themselves completely and go into a monastery and they would practice religion apart from the world, it, usually in a secluded community of like-minded people to avoid sin and grow closer to God. Martin Luther joined one of these communities. And these communities were known for rigorous fasting, prayer, self-abasement, abstaining from food, not using blankets and warm clothing on cold nights, sleep deprivation, all in ways to prove to God that you were serious, prove to God that that you wanted salvation. Prove to God that you were trying to follow him and live for him. Most of these very devout monks ended up being emaciated, sickly, bags of bones, constant ailments from malnutrition and sleep deprivation. Even Martin Luther, after he came out of that lifestyle, suffered from physical ailments the rest of his life because of that time that he spent in those monasteries. Martin's hero was a man named Prince Wilhelm of Anhalt, the noble, who became a Franciscan monk and was so devoted that he beat and starved himself to death. This was Martin Luther's hero that he wrote about in his journals. And as I mentioned, it was even believed that the truly devout could even earn salvation for close friends and relatives or even the dead 
who were in purgatory. Once Martin Luther made a trip to Rome to the Scala Sancta, which were 28 steps believed to have once stood in front of Pilate's palace. It was taught that if a devout Christian were to climb each stair on hands and knees, stopping at each stair to kiss the steps and recite the Lord's Prayer at each step, that a person could set a soul free from purgatory. In hopes to see his grandfather, Martin climbed the steps, prayed the prayers, kissed the steps. But at the top, instead of feeling the joy that one should feel after setting someone free from purgatory, like everything else Luther had experienced, he felt empty, pointless, and powerless. And he made this statement. He said, who knows whether it is so. In other words, I I really have no idea whether it worked or whether it didn't. Please understand, this was not a part of Christianity. This was Christianity. There really was no other alternative at this time. So Luther, fearing for his own eternity, was more devout than others. He went to confessions every single day, which wasn't required, but Martin was serious. So he went to confession every single day, and he would confess up to six hours at a time. If I was that priest, I would have... Martin, come on now, get a hold of yourself. Every day, six hours a day, I got other things to do. His confessions were so trivial that a fellow monk once exclaimed, man, God is not angry with you, you are angry with God. Don't you know that God also commands you to hope? His friend was right, because for all of the monkery, it had not led him closer to God, but further Away, And isn't this how it happens so many times? There may be even a tinge of this in, in your life if you've ever experienced this. That sometimes the harder people, well, I'm going to get things right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to really go after God. And there can be a benefit to that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But so many times it ends up leading people to feel more condemned because the things you set out to do, you never did it perfect enough, you never did it long enough, you never did it with the right heart or the right motive. And what happens is Satan comes in and he ends up using it to actually condemn you and go, oh, yeah, you did that, but you didn't really have the, heart, right, the right heart. Oh, yeah, you went to church, but then you missed this church for this. Or, oh, you slept in this morning. And before you know it, you can feel further away from God than you did before. And this is what Martin was Experiencing in, in referring to this season of life, Martin had become extremely depressed and pessimistic, and he wrote this. He said, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? No, I hated him. That was Martin's own words. In another place, he wrote, my situation was that although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God a sinner, troubled in conscience, and had no confidence that my merits would appease him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. This may be a little bit extreme, but I can tell you that there are people in the body of Christ, they may not feel exactly like that, but there are many that feel like that towards God. Because they don't understand that we've entered into an age of grace. They don't understand the new covenant of grace. And they still are operating under an old covenant mindset. Did you know that even as a New Testament believer, you can still operate under old covenant thinking and how you approach God? 
and how, and how you think God feels about you and believes about you, this can still even affect modern believers. It was around this time that an older monk had an idea on how to help Luther. He decided to make him a teacher at the local university that was training and raising up priests. And he gave him the assignment to begin teaching the book of Romans. This is when everything changed for Martin Luther because right away in chapter 1, verse 16, he came face to face with this passage. Romans 1, 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now that may sound so normal to you, but to Martin, it was, it was a difference in his thinking. Wait a minute. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, not for everyone who suffers, not for everyone who prays, not for everyone who sacrifices, not for everyone who starves themselves. No, for everyone who believes. Is it that simple? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is the good news. He said, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And it was really this statement that changed Martin Luther. For, he couldn't get over it. For days, he meditated on this statement. For days, he was in his, in his closet just thinking about this statement. The just shall live by faith. Because that's not how he was living at all. He was not living by faith. Matter of fact, he had no faith or confidence that he was right before God. He wasn't living by faith at all. He was living by works completely. Now, the statement, the just shall live by faith, can be applied in two ways. It can mean, number one, the just or the righteous shall come to life by faith. In other words, the way that we come to life, the way that we experience true life is, is through believing. But it also means that daily you live by faith. This is why when we know uh, our place with God, when we know we've received salvation, we know we're right before God, it doesn't mean that thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of, of not being saved, it doesn't mean those thoughts never come. Of course they do. But the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. In other words, I, I, I'm not believing that I'm right with God because what I did yesterday or didn't do. I believe I'm right with God because of what Jesus did and my faith is in him. And that's, that is the, the, the gospel. That is the, the good news. So Martin came across this phrase, the just shall live by faith. Well, that's not how he was living. And there are many of you, you've you probably heard that statement before, but maybe that's not how you're living. Maybe you're, you're living every day thinking, well, God's mad at me. Oh, well, Pastor Josh, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my, my past. Well, I guess you're the first exception that grace never worked for. No, there's not one. There's not one. Yeah, but I did. You don't know what's going on. Look. All I can tell you is that there's, there's not a sin that God's never, that hasn't seen. <laughs> he's seen it all, believe me, and he's seen it all at once. Around the world, all, you know, several billion of us at this point. He, he sees it all day. And he still loves mankind enough that he sent his own son to die for him and shed his blood and offer salvation as a free gift. So you're not an exception. Do, you, do we need to repent and, and change and, and grow and get better? Of course. And there are reasons to do that. There are reasons to do that. And we should be doing that. But you have to start here. 
You have to start because you can make all those changes and clean yourself up and still not be right with God. People try to do it all the time. You could do everything under the sun. You could pay every price. You, you, could, you could, you know, you, the Bible says you could give your body to be burned and it not be out of love. It would mean nothing. So we have to start here understanding the one, let's just say it this way. The one who gets up every morning, prays, reads their Bible, goes to church every Sunday, serves in the ministry, has the great marriage, reads the Bible through every year, is not more saved than the person who just got saved yesterday and doesn't know anything. I mean, I don't have a better place with God or a better standing with God than the person who walked in the door this morning and is going to give their life to Jesus for the first time. Uh, am, am I living a more exemplary life? Of course I am. Guys, I'm working real hard at it. But the, the person that came in this morning, they're equally saved, equally son of God, daughter of God, equally co-heir with God. Those are the things that matter, right? So how do you obtain that salvation? It is through faith, and you should live every day in the confidence of that. If you've believed in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... If you believe he was the son of God, came to this earth, died on the cross, resurrected, the Bible says you receive salvation and you need to live, as the scripture says, by faith in that revelation. Amen? So he's pondering this statement. This is what he says in his own words. He says that I pondered this phrase night and day. And thereupon I felt myself to be reborn. And to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole scripture, the whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. For the first time his mind was open and he understood what the true gospel was. And so all the vigor and intensity that Luther had poured into being a monk... Even so that other monks were going, man, what is wrong with you? You, you, are, you are, something's the matter with you. He took all that same intensity and he began to now share the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he literally upended the whole religious system and brought in what was known as the Great Reformation. And, and we're here today sitting in this room because of that. I mean, we're, we're worshiping God and serving God the way that we are today because of the great reformation. And it started with him reading one verse in the Bible and putting faith and belief in that. And it caused him, the, it caused him in his own words, he said, to be reborn. So what is this revelation? The just shall live by faith. Well, as I said, first of all, it means... That those who have faith in Christ, not in yourself, not in a man, not in the church, in Christ, they can come alive by that faith. In other words, the way Jesus explained it to Nicodemus was that you, your spirit will be born again and you will become a new, per, a new person. Paul explained it this way. He said, old things will pass away and all things will become new. The Bible calls it being born again. In other words, when you came onto this planet... Your spirit was full of sin. Yeah, you go, well, they're, they're innocent. Well, just give it a while. Give it, give it a few, few days, weeks. You'll start to see that sin nature creeping up in all kind of way. That little bundle of joy will surprise you in ways untold. Why? Because they're born with a sin nature just like every other person ever come on this planet. 
And what God tells us through the scripture is that you have to have a new nature. You have to receive a new nature. And when you become saved and you put faith in Christ and you receive true salvation, it says the old man passes away and in his place comes a new spirit with new desires and new understanding of the scripture that you're filled with his Holy Spirit. So the just come to life by faith, but then also the just shall live by faith means that from here forward, you're going to live every day by faith. That means when you miss the mark and you didn't do it just right and you failed, you don't live that day according to that. You go, nope, I'm living by faith. I'm, I made a mistake here. I did wrong, but I'm getting myself up. I'm going on by faith. Christ purchased my salvation. Christ forgives my sins. His blood paid the price. It's faith in that. I have right standing with God, not because of what I did yesterday, but because of who Jesus is and what he did. And see, it's out of that faith that you can truly live the Christian life. And this is where people get off. They think, well, man, if we just believe that, if it's really like that, well, then people will just think they can go out and sin and do whatever they want. They'll just go out and, and sin and just go, oh, thank God for his grace. No, Paul talks about that too. He says that's abusing that grace and that, that's not in a good place. That's not to put you in a good place. But here's the, here's the truth of it, is that when a heart has come to life by faith, they don't think like that. And that's just the truth of it. When, when a heart has come to life by faith, they don't think, how can I sin and, and just do whatever I want and then go ask God for forgiveness later? Here's what I've found. I have found that people who, can, who are free to live the best Christian life are those who are 100% confident in this revelation that we're talking about this morning. Because it's a lot like a marriage. See, the moment a person gets freed up with their spouse that if I do this, it's going to make you mad. Or if I don't do this, you're going to be upset. And oh, I got to do this to make you happy. That's not a fun marriage to be part of. That's not, a, that's not a good relationship to be part of. Some of the best marriages are... When a person knows and believes, you love me no matter what I do. You love me how I am. You love me with all my flaws, all my imperfections. You love me on my good days. You love me on my bad days. You love me in sickness and in health. You love me through it all. You're loyal, faithful, dedicated. I'm not going anywhere no matter what. When you believe that, that creates, a, a, that creates like the soil for the, the good fruit of marriage to grow properly. And if a marriage is under condemnation, then there's always finger pointing at you. Well, you didn't do this right. You didn't do. That's a very difficult marriage to be part of. You could say relationship in general. And that's how a lot of people live with God. But some of the best Christians are people that have just relaxed and understood, I'm accepted. Is it that simple? Yeah, it is. I'm accepted. God loves me. I'm the righteousness of Christ because of what the blood of Jesus did. Do I fall and make mistakes? Sure I do. Sure I do. But I wake up the next day and I go, Lord, help me. I want to get better. I want to do right. I, I want to be more shaped into the image of Christ. But my salvation is secure. Glory to God. So the just shall live by faith. Not just come to life, but live every day by faith. This may be even strange to some of the ears this morning, but one of the greatest revelations of the New Testament is you are not right with God because of what you do. You're not right with God because of what you do. You're, you're right with God because of faith in Christ. Sometimes even believers have a hard time grasping this. That literally is the whole discussion in the book of Galatians that Paul is having. 
In all six chapters of the book of Galatians, this is what Paul is dealing with with the Christians there. They've come to life by faith. They've received the gospel. They re- Paul is the one who preached it to them himself. If you were with us on the book of Acts, we were doing on Wednesday nights. We talked about how the churches of Galatia got planted and went through that whole thing. And these, these people had come to life by faith. The just shall live by faith. But now they're turning to a different gospel, as Paul says it. So I'm just going to read you a few passages from the book of Galatians. And, and specifically what they were dealing with was there were Jewish people among them. In the Old Testament, the, the sign that you were part of the covenant of God was circumcision. Every, every male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day, and that, and that meant you were part of the covenant family of God. If you had not been circumcised, you were on the out. That was the physical sign of being part of the covenant of God. So now in the New Testament, you've got Jews that are talking to these churches in Galatia, and they're trying to tell them, well, it's not really enough just to believe in Jesus. You still need to be circumcised. Like you can't, especially the Gentiles that are coming into the church, they're trying to say, well, I mean, you know, you, you believe in Jesus, we get all that, but you still need to do this. So in a way, what they're saying is, yeah, it's faith plus circumcision how you really receive salvation. Now, look at how serious Paul makes this. This is verse 6, chapter 1. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, look, if if you're trying to add anything to faith to say it's faith plus this, you're creating a whole different gospel. Listen, it's not faith plus baptism. It's not faith plus speaking in tongues. It's not faith plus good works. It's faith. He said anything other than that, you're creating a different gospel. So he said, I'm actually astonished, you know, and I can, I can relate to Paul here because he say, look, I, I did such a good job preaching this. How did y'all miss this? How did you not understand? He said, I'm astonished after the word you've had. I mean, come on. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What gospel was that? The gospel of salvation by faith alone. And this was, the, this was what Martin Luther preached. This was the whole foundation of the Reformation was faith alone is how we receive salvation. Galatians 2.15, he continues writing. You, of course, can go read the whole book, but I'm just going to read little excerpts. He said, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In other words, look, he's talking to the Jews. He says, guys, we had the law. We had all of that. He said, but even among us, we don't follow the law anymore. We've turned to grace because it's the new, it's the new way. It's the new covenant. So he said, why, why are we trying to make these Gentiles start following laws? of the, That doesn't make any sense. He said, so we ourselves are Jews, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be 
justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified. No, we're, we're not justified by works. We're justified by faith. Verse 21. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if I have to do something to obtain my salvation, if that were even possible, then he said Christ died for no reason. The death of the cross was pointless. So anytime you find yourself thinking, oh, well, I got to do this. God's going to be mad at me or I got to do this because, you know, I'm not going to be good enough before God. Well, then Christ died for no reason. If you can do it. I mean, if you can just do it on your own, what was the point of Christ doing? A lot of scholars believe one of the main purposes of the Old Covenant, one of the whole purposes of the law and the Old Testament is just to help human beings arrive at the place where they could actually see and understand, man, we can't do this. And it was after humans had tried for hundreds of years to follow the law and do the teachings and follow everything. And then Jesus comes along and he says, he says, none of y'all been following the law. And then the Pharisees thought they were so good at it. They're like, oh, well, we follow the law. He said, well, let me, let me help you with that. He said, you thought you've been following the law because you've been doing all the outside things right? He said, we haven't even got to the heart. We haven't even got to your motives. We hadn't even got to your thought life. You thought you were following the law in this area? No, God was looking at your heart, and it was dirty all along, so you failed just like everybody else. So all the outside, all the old covenant laws were so strictly focused on outside moral behavior, then Jesus comes along and says, oh yeah, and by the way, just in case you thought you were doing a good job in that, let me start showing you that adultery is actually of the heart, that murder is actually of the heart, that unforgiveness is actually of the heart. And he tells the Pharisees, he says, you know how to clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. So even even those that thought they were following the law, Jesus comes along and says, you're so far off base even if you thought you were doing a good job. Why? To make you feel bad? No. To help you see, you can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And then he offered it to you as a gift. In other words, this is what the Bible calls atonement. His righteousness that he lived, by faith, he imputes or gifts to you. And that takes faith to believe that, and it takes faith to live by that every day. Galatians 3.10, Paul continues. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Did I need to say that again? That's pretty serious. He said, all who rely on works of the law are still under a curse. In other words, they've not come out of, they have not come out of sin. They have not obtained salvation because they're still relying on works of the law to produce salvation. He said, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident, or he says should be evident, that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. He restates what he says in Romans. Galatians 5.1, keeping going through the book here. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, He's talking to a group of Christians, and he's saying that even for Christians, if you're not careful, you can resubmit again to a yoke of slavery. Even though you were living by, and the Galatians are a perfect example of this, even if you were living by faith, 
and you had your confidence in faith in Christ and in his righteousness, you can slip back over into this mentality. I've seen it happen many times. I've seen people under so much condemnation that they're walking around depressed and miserable because they're so sin-focused, so self-focused, instead of focusing on what Jesus did and on his blood and on his righteousness. If you, stay, if you stare at yourself long enough in the mirror, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> you're going to find something wrong. And if you stare long enough at your sinfulness and how you fall short, listen, the devil will join you in that party any day. He is quick to jump on the bandwagon and go, that's right, you're the most worthless, sorriest thing. I don't know why anybody, you, your family don't love you, your mama don't love you, God don't love you. You might as well just go ahead and end it all. And guess what? A lot of people believe that lie and go down that path. Satan loves to jump on that train. The Bible, matter of fact, says he's the accuser of the brethren. It's what he does night and day to accuse you of all your shortcomings and of all your faults. See, in church, we have to talk about how to live right and, and how to live holy and how to get better. But you got to do it all from this standpoint and this revelation and this understanding. We got to talk about how you need to change, just like with my kids. I want my, I want my kids to know I love them, Daddy loves you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I got your back no matter what. We're still going to talk about how you need to grow and improve and get better, but it needs to come from a foundation of you're loved, you're accepted, I'm on your team, but yeah, let's talk about how to improve and get better. A lot of Christians, when you talk about how to get better and ways, things we need to be doing, they seem to lose sight of this, and we can never lose sight of this because this is the foundation of the whole thing. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. So he says, for freedom... Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, now don't think about that, don't think about circumcision because that's not our issue here. But if you accept that it's, it's faith plus anything, that's really what he's saying here. If you accept that it's faith plus fill in the blank because for centuries people have added what that thing is. Okay, if you accept that it's faith plus anything, it says Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You, would, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That's how serious it is. Now, some of you might be worried, thinking, oh, I'm circumcised. Well, that's not the issue today. You, you didn't get circumcised so that you could, what did it say? Be justified by the law, right? So that wasn't the issue there, <laughs> just in case you were worried. Um, but no, for in our case, faith plus anything. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That's how serious it is. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Look, I only read to you one book out of the New Testament. We could go through every book and find this same line of thinking on, every, on this issue over and over and over again. This was Paul's greatest revelation, saved by grace through faith. So faith in Christ alone equals salvation. Not faith plus anything. I want to ask Mr. Cameron 
Pitchford to make his way up here. Where's Cameron at? There he is. Come on up. Can you hand me this? I want to show you a little illustration this morning. You knew it was Easter. I had to have something special for you. It's real simple, not anything extravagant. We're not sacrificing any lambs this morning like we tried to do the one time. Okay. So, Mr. Cameron, you're, you're a good Christian man, right? Okay, well, I want you... I want you to do a few things. First of all, I want, I want, to, I want you to add to your life, uh, I want you to start praying. I want you to give every morning and start praying and reading the Bible, okay? You got to do that well. I don't want you sleeping in. I don't want you missing any days. You got to keep that going. Oh, and by the way, it's not enough to pray. You need to also start reading the Bible too, regularly, on a regular basis. And you need to make sure you're attending church every Sunday. Do not miss... Pitt, what are you doing? Let's start over. That was that was I didn't last nearly as long as I thought. Let's look. We're gonna pick up the pieces again. Okay, you got to come to church every Sunday. Not only do you got to come to church, you got to serve at church every Sunday too. And there's a lot left I need to be doing here. I got a lot more in this bag. You can't even get through the three of it. Okay, so there's that. But then the other alternative and the other way that. Us living by faith is a totally different day. This is how it looks when you're doing it all in your own strength. This, but when you're living by grace, it looks completely different. And this is a similar, similar thing. But now, Cameron, I want you to pray. You about ruined, <laughs> you about ruined the whole thing. Not only do I want you to pray, I want you to attend church. I want you to love your wife. I want you to love your kids. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to, I want you to serve. I want you to be in the ministry. I want you to give. Yeah. See, when it's by faith, it's a whole different experience, isn't it? So many of us, we're over here doing this, and we're thinking, oh, my God, and, 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 men, and living the Christian life is wearing you out. Because you're not really living by faith, you're li- you don't realize, but you're doing all these things almost as if to please God, almost in a way to sort of qualify. But what Paul's revelation is, no, you got to do a lot of stuff, don't get me wrong, but when it's fueled by grace and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit, this is what it looks like. You're walking around, you're confident in who you are, you're confident in, in how Jesus feels about you, you're confident in his love, you're confident in your salvation, you're confident in your eternity, and that frees you up. I don't have to do anything out of guilt. I don't have to do anything out of condemnation. I'm free to serve, not serve. I'm free to do the things I need to do out of what God's leading me to do and out of the Spirit because it's His grace that's fueling the whole thing. And it ought to look a lot like this, amen? Not bobbling it around and and wearing ourselves out. Thank you, Cameron. You can take those with you, man. Maybe give them to your kids, you know. Look, Jesus said... My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I ask you this morning, the, the yoke of Christianity, the, the burden of Christianity that, that you are carrying, that you're living, would you describe it as easy and light? Would you describe living as a Christian as being easy and light? Or do you feel burdened? Do you feel condemned? Do you feel weighted down? Because I hope this morning that the scriptures have given you a breath of fresh air to say, You know, I didn't know that God felt that way about me. I didn't know that I was accepted, loved, just by having faith in Christ. We could spend so much more time talking on this, but I want to read one last scripture as we close out 
this morning. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So the combination of grace and faith is the grace is just God's decision and mercy to do it. You know, you, you, you could have all the faith in the world if God's grace never got involved and offered it in the first place. So it's, it's grace, it's God's grace, but it's your faith in that grace that obtained that salvation. So Paul says it's by grace, but through faith. And he says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Basically, here's what he's saying. He says, yeah, you're created for good works, meaning you you are created to do some awesome things in this life. You are created to be like Christ. You're created to do and live a certain way. Absolutely, you're created for those things. It's just that those things can't purchase your salvation. No, you can only receive your salvation through faith. But once you've received that salvation, there's going to be a lot of good works coming out of your life because you've been changed and you want to be like your Savior. But he said those good works can't purchase your salvation. Only your faith can do that. 